Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And I am very pleased, perhaps excessively pleased, to share with you today some time with Matthew Baker, the author of If You Find This, a very fine, very engaging, quite delightful debut middle grade book on our spring list. That book list in a starred review called A Rich, Captivating Tale About Family and Redemption That Redefines the Meaning of Treasure. Welcome, Matthew Baker. Thanks. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Uh, Matthew, can you tell us briefly what If You Find This is about? Yeah, uh, the book is set on the shore of Lake Michigan, and it's about a boy named Nicholas who his entire life has been told that his grandfather is dead. And then one day his grandfather turns up in town, very much alive. His grandfather says he's looking for their family heirlooms, which he hid in town many years ago. But his grandfather is also dealing with the onset of dementia, and he can't remember where the heirlooms are hidden. So uh, along with the chapters narrated by Nicholas, there are also chapters that focus on his grandfather's life. So the novel has elements of mystery, adventure, and historical fiction. Is it fair to say that hijinks ensue once Grandpa comes to town? <laughs> Many hijinks ensue, yes. Yeah. I do love hijinks. I do love hijinks, and I love the ensuing of hijinks. Uh, one of the things that I noticed when I read the galley of this book, um, I noticed it when I read the manuscript, but it became very apparent when we, I was reading the galley, is that music and math is a very large part of if you find this. And in fact, um, if reader, when readers look through the text of the book, they'll notice a lot of musical notations are included in the text. Uh, how did you arrive at this theme? Do you have a musical background? Um, yeah. I sang in a couple of different choirs when I was a kid, and I also played the piano, and then the trumpet, and then the guitar, and later I picked up things like the didgeridoo and the shakuhachi. Uh, okay, now, now I have to stop you. I know <laughs> yeah. what a didgeridoo is, but what is that other that <laughs> you mentioned? <laughs> uh, shakuhachi, it's a bamboo flute. Um, and mine is really, mine is about like six feet tall. It's like a walking stick size. That's probably the weirdest one I have, yeah. It's a six foot tall bamboo flute. How yeah. tall are you, Matthew? I'm um, about that tall. Okay. I just need a firmly fixed mental image. I think I'm going to have to have a picture of you with the flute. Will you do that for me? <laughs> yeah, that can be arranged, definitely. I'm sorry, listeners, I was struck by a mental image and interrupted our author. Matthew, please continue on your musical background. <laughs> um, yeah, so my parents, they also bought me blank sheet music, and so I spent a lot of time uh, writing my own song. And so, yeah, music did play a huge role in my childhood. Um, I thought about everything around me in terms of music, uh, fortes, pianos, fermatas, glissandos, and I would use that language to try and understand the things that were happening in my life. Uh, and that was actually really frustrating for me because I loved reading. I read constantly, uh, but no matter how hard I looked, I was never able to find books that were narrated in that other language that I spoke. And every book was just plain English. So when I set out to write 
this book, that was really the first thing I knew about Nicholas as a narrator, that he would mark every sound word in the book with a music notation, that the book would be written in a fusion of English and music. I wanted to give readers the type of book I'd always wished for and never had. But it was also very important to me not to exclude readers who aren't musicians. So for readers who aren't musicians, the book is very carefully designed to teach them that language along the way. The book introduces the different music terms gradually and always explains what the different terms mean, giving lots of examples. So kids who aren't musicians yet are actually taught that language over the course of the book and become fluent in it. So in that sense, it's also educational. I so love the idea of this book as bilingual, in a way. Um, yeah, and well, and like you mentioned, the, there's also that math element, and so it's, it's almost trilingual, because Nicholas also um, uses math concepts linguistically. It, it's intriguing to me. Uh, I am a huge fan of Howard Gardner, uh, who is this Harvard education, education professor, and he has a theory of different types of intelligences, and one of them is the verbal intelligence, but there's also uh, different types of kinetic uh, intelligence and, and spatial intelligence and emotional intelligence. So I'm always fascinated by how different people and different characters uh, process and experience the world around them and then um, express that information back out to others. And so I think If You Find This is a really intriguing book um, narrative-wise in terms of the plot, but I'm also fascinated by how you portray this character, Nicholas, who experiences the world in a very unique way, just how he, he processes all the information around him colors of the world, uh, characters of the people he's encountering, uh, you know, maybe even just the smell of, of hot cross buns. I guess I'm really hungry because I'm fixating on food right now. But, and then expressing that back out in, the, in these languages that make so much sense to him and trying to communicate um, with the people around him. I, I think that's so fascinating and, and how this relates to Nicholas as a somewhat lonely character. Um, were you lonely as a child? No, I mean, I, I did spend a lot of time by myself because um, there's a big age gap between me and my sisters. And so, um, yes, I spent a lot of time by myself, but I don't think I was ever lonely. It was, um, you know, I learned to find ways to occupy myself really early on. Um, but I do think that when you speak another language like that, whether it's music or whether it's math or whether it's Elvish, um, when you speak a language that only a, a very select group of people um, know and are fluent in, then that does it does isolate you in a way. And it, um, there are there are things you can only say in those languages that you can't really communicate to people who don't speak them. Oh, that is a beautiful point. That is a beautiful point. I I am not one who is fascinated by Elvish. Klingon was always uh, my language of choice. Kapla! Um, but I love that point about, you know, in addition to the connection, you know, our particular languages, how we communicate, ha carry 
so much more than the plain verbal weight. There's all those sorts of expectations and histories in that language um, of experiences trying to communicate that out as well. Um, I think the other, so the element of how you've told the story, the vehicle for telling the story, the languages that you've used, I think are new and interesting and something we haven't seen in middle grade before. But you've married this well to, I think, one of the classic tropes of middle grade uh, literature, which is the the great tradition of grandparents as the secret movers of the plot, the the movers and shakers and or the comic relief. And I, I hate to put it this way, but I sometimes just think of uh, of this question in in this very bald way. What is with grandparents? What is their strange glamour in, in middle grade fiction for these young characters? I think the elderly often occupy a very similar place as children in our social system. Uh, this book is really about two grandfathers, Nicholas's grandfather and then another man who gets involved named Grandpa Dykehouse. And those two characters both start out the book in a nursing home. And in a nursing home, grandparents are really treated a lot like children. You, know, you have to take medicine when you're told to. You have to take showers when you're told to. You don't get to cook your own meals or to choose what you eat. Uh, you're forced to do lots of crafts. And nobody trusts you to drive because of your age. And so I think children and grandparents make natural allies. They're separated by this great divide of adulthood, but in many ways they're dealing with all the same thing. I love that image of forced to do crafts. Now I am retreating back to uh, my my own fourth grade summer and 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 uh, these fake dream catcher things. Oh God, I'm intrigued by this idea because I'm fascinated by middle grade literature as the place where characters uh, find out the world is the way it is, not because. Uh, it just is that way. The world is the shape it is because adults have decided that it will be this way. Adults make the rule. So the inclusion of the grandfather as this as this ally is interesting to me. Um, were there any other um, ideas or sources that you you based Grandpa Nicholas on, just to give him that extra flavor? Well, in a certain sense. Yeah, but um, it, you could say that it's based on my own grandfather, but the, the grandfather in the book is in many ways the exact opposite of mine. Um, my grandfather was a police officer. You know, this grandfather is an ex-con. You know, my grandfather was you know, very devoted to family, and the grandfather in the book was never really around. Um, so the book isn't really about my grandfather as a person, but um, it, it is based on my grandfather. Uh, he was a police officer his entire life, but he, one of his, you know, one of his big passions was film. He was uh, really fascinated by film history and he collected film memorabilia and he um, also he got involved with local film productions, like very low-budget um, movies. But he, you know, he would act in these in these um, low-budget films, and he always, you know, in in those movies, he liked to play sort of the 
the lovable villain character. Um, you know, and so that's the character that I designed for the grandfather in the book is um, kind of a lovable villain. And so in many ways, it is the opposite of his um, of his life, but it's the exact sort of role that he you know loved to play. And that's how I always thought of this book is is really um, one last role for him to play. I so love that. Um, element of the book and the story you've told there. Um, this uh, this book is a highly personal story in a way. I mean, I think it's accessible for many younger readers, but the genius of it is that you've put some very specific to your life and background points in it, communicating them in a way using those those pieces of your history, both for your from yourself and your from your family, into constructing a really interesting, heartfelt story. And I think that's kind of what the best writers do is transform those very personal, specific moments into a way of of storytelling that that really touches um, readers' um, minds and hearts. So, congratulations to you on that. But speaking of your grandfather, um, you know, the one of the other great themes of this book and, and how it, it talks to people and connects with people is the theme of, of grief and healing from grief. What is the compelling aspect of this emotion uh, for you in making this story? Well, I wrote the book after my grandfather died, and um, I've been very close to him my entire life. In the first few years of my life, uh, I was raised by a single mom, and so he'd always really been like a father to me, in a way. Um, that summer that he died, I was working as a painter, and after I got the call, um, I biked home to my apartment, and I sat on my chair, and I cried for maybe a minute, and that was it. I ate my lunch, and I went back to work. And I didn't cry at his visitation or at his funeral or at his burial or anything. And I remember at one point uh, my mom got kind of concerned at, I guess, how stoic that I seemed. And she said, you need to let it all out. It's not healthy to bottle it all up. But um, she didn't understand that my process was just very different. I couldn't get it out in a two-hour memorial service. There wasn't any point in even trying. So instead, it ultimately took me four years and about 300 pages to grieve. You know, again, the book the book isn't about his life or him as a person, but I guess it is emotionally autobiographical in that it is um, about the feeling of losing him. I love that we started this conversation talking about how Nicholas communicates with his languages and that we've come around to, at the end of this conversation, um, the feelings that he's trying to communicate. And really what this book is about is, is about reaching out and about communicating with others how we feel about them and about what's happening around us. And, and I think this book is a really unique achievement in how to do that for people who may not be what I like to call standard communicators. <laughs> I think a lot in terms of colors. And uh, from my own background, my mother wanted a pink child. She wanted a girl who would wear pink and do pink things. 
Uh, and she had to get another kid to do that because that was not me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always drawn to the stories of children and of characters who are themselves working through their unique uh, ways of seeing the world and interacting with the world and then trying to reach out to others using those unique tools uh, whilst remaining true to themselves. So I really appreciate you writing this book and making your own efforts um, to reach out and to communicate that. So thank you very much, Matthew Baker. Uh, Matthew, what are you working on now other than uh, sending me a picture of you standing next to your giant bamboo flute in one hand and your didgeridoo in the other hand? Um, right now I'm working on finishing up uh, a second middle grade book about um, computers and hacking. And I'm also working on finishing up a short story collection and collaborating with a programmer friend on a video game and uh, collaborating with a filmmaker friend on some film projects. So I'm keeping very busy. I was going to say, now you've exhausted me a little bit, and I think I'm going to need to enjoy some coffee, and you'll need to enjoy some tea, uh, and perhaps I'm going to have to take a nap. I thought I was busy, but you're putting me to shame. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much uh, for writing, if you find this, and for sharing it with us. Um, this has been Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing on the Little Brown School Podcast. And with me has been Matthew Baker, author of If You Find This. And we'll see you next time. Say goodbye to everyone, Matthew. Goodbye, everyone.